This is Science Moab, a show exploring the science happening in Southeast Utah and the Colorado Plateau. I'm your host, Peggy Hodgkins, coming to you from Moab, Utah. Today, we are talking about the unique songs of birds. Not just any birds, but specifically the willow flycatcher. So willow flycatchers are in a genus called Empidnax. This genus of flycatchers is famous for being very difficult to identify in the field by sight. So oftentimes what people rely on is they're, they're really hoping that the birds will sing in the field because despite looking so similar, Empidnax flycatchers sound very different. They have very distinct songs. That's Sean Mahoney a behavioral ecologist who studies the ecology of plants, birds, and insects. He's been studying four subspecies of the willow flycatchers in order to understand how their songs differ. This is not merely an academic pursuit, but done in the hopes of protecting one of the subspecies, the endangered southwestern willow flycatcher. They're kind of described as drab. They're kind of gray and green. Um, with some some yellowish coloration on their their breast and belly. Like the name suggests, they eat insects um, on the wing. What they'll do is they'll sit on a perch and they'll see an insect fly by and they'll they'll fly and grab that insect out of the air and then fly back to the same perch. That's typical uh, foraging behavior for flycatchers. Uh, willow flycatchers are uh, riparian obligates. So they nest exclusively in riparian areas along rivers. They will nest in uh, willows, again, as their name suggests, but they also will nest in tamarisk, non-native invasive tamarisk. They really like those, those dense vegetation thickets along rivers. That's their, their preferred habitat. And what stretches of river have you more commonly studied here on the Colorado Plateau? On the Colorado Plateau, they are pretty common along the Virgin River, particularly around St. George. I have surveyed for them along the San Juan River. They, unfortunately, we don't think are nesting in along the San Juan River anymore, but they're, they use that area for um, migratory stopovers. So they, they stop in that area, feed a bunch, and then, and then move on in a, in a day or two. We think they're doing the same thing in Moab as well. To the best of my knowledge, there hasn't been too many surveys in the last few years as far as for breeding birds. Um, but we think that the rivers in, in Moab are really important stopover habitat. And then outside of the Colorado Plateau, kind of a big stronghold for them is at Elephant Butte along the uh, middle Rio Grande in New Mexico. And then down in southern Arizona, um, along the Gila River, there's a good population there. And then some other spots uh, include Alma Lake in Arizona. There's a, a pretty big population there as well. So if they're stopping over in Moab and other places on the plateau, where do they winter? And how far north do they end up going in the, in the summers? They overwinter in uh, Central America. And then, you know, there's, there's four subspecies of the willow flycatchers in the Southwest. That's, that's the endangered subspecies that we have. And so when they, they come up, they're 
we think that the um, endangered subspecies isn't going further north than about the border of Arizona and, and Utah. So we don't think that they're really going much, much further north than southern Utah. But the three other subspecies are going to be found in, during the breeding season throughout uh, North America. So there's an eastern subspecies. There's a northwestern subspecies that's going to be found in the Pacific Northwest. And then there's going to be a, a, another subspecies that's going to be found um, throughout the interior west. And some of those populations will go even up into southern Canada. So they're distributed widely throughout uh, the United States, but the endangered subspecies um, is going to be pretty restricted to southern Utah, Arizona, western New Mexico, and then southern California. What are some of the reasons that the willow flycatchers sing? That is a really good question. In general, birds sing because they're trying to do two main things. First, they're trying to attract a mate. They use song as a way to advertise that they're in an area and that they're available and looking to breed, looking to mate. And the second reason that, that we think that birds sing is uh, they're trying to defend a territory. They're advertising that an area is, is theirs and they're going to be telling competitors and their neighbors that this area belongs to me and you can't come in here. Um, this is kind of my house, so stay away. Um, so those are kind of the two things that birds use song for. Sean's interest in studying the willow flycatcher was piqued after a 2015 paper came out challenging the subspecies status of the endangered southwestern willow flycatcher. This particular study looked at previous genetic work, previous work on plumage, and where in ecological space a species occurs. The big takeaway from the study was that the southwestern willow flycatchers were no different from the other subspecies. And because of that paper, the southwestern willow flycatcher protection under the Endangered Species Act was no longer warranted. When we read that paper, my advisor and I thought, okay, there's some things that we can probably address here. And one of the obvious ones was, was song. And song is a really important mating signal, as we discussed, in birds. It's actually really interesting in willow flycatchers because song is not a learned trait in, in flycatchers. It's something that's innate. And so if you raise a, a nestling willow flycatcher in isolation, it'll develop its song just normally without ever hearing its, its parent sing. So there's something ingrained in its DNA about song. And so we thought, you know, this is a really obvious knowledge gap that we don't fully understand. And so we said, okay, why don't we do this, this large scale song study where we record different subspecies, we look for differences. And if we do find differences, it's not just because the song is learned differently in, in a different subspecies. There's actually something adaptive in their DNA that's causing these differences in song. And so that's why we went ahead and with this study. And basically what we found was that the endangered Southwestern willow flycatcher 
sings a more unique song structurally than the other three subspecies. And so that was a, a major finding and, a, and an important um, knowledge gap within this species complex. By listening to the songs of each subspecies, how did you identify each subspecies and its song? What we did was uh, we went to putative breeding grounds for each subspecies. And we made sure that we weren't on the boundary when we were recording songs. Uh, we just you know, recorded individuals that were in the field and we made the assumption, we did assume, but we feel like it was a good assumption based on previous work with genetics that we were recording the subspecies that we thought we were recording. Right. So it, it is, in your mind, at least still warranting a, a unique subspecies and therefore endangered species category. Yeah, that was, that's kind of what we argued. And again, because song is innate, it's ingrained in the DNA. That means that the southwestern willow flycatcher has these unique alleles that are causing it to sing a different type of song than the other three subspecies. And the whole idea of the Endangered Species Act is to conserve genetic diversity. And so this was just another argument that said, this group of birds in the Southwest, they have a unique genetic makeup. And because of that, they warrant protection under the ESA. Between these subspecies, were their songs unique enough to be very distinct? Uh, or did it take a bit of a teasing apart to note the differences? I'll play you two songs. I'll play you one of the subspecies that's not endangered. And then I'll play you the endangered southwestern willow flycatcher and and we can have the listeners see if they hear a difference this is uh, one of the subspecies um, that's not endangered and i'll play it one more time so that was one subspecies and then here's the endangered southwestern the main takeaway that what i hear is in the southwestern they're singing a lower frequency song. The song is, is a little bit lower. And in the, the non-endangered song, it's a little bit higher in frequency. The frequency is what really came out as different. So the three non-endangered subspecies were singing songs that were higher in frequency. And the Southwestern was singing songs that were lower in frequency. From that, you can say, okay, the songs are different, but our group, we wanted to take it a step further and we really wanted to show, or at least test, that song was an important mechanism that could be differentiating these subspecies. And so what we did was we actually experimentally tested this. We did this using live birds in the field. We played songs, each of these songs, to individual birds in the field, and we quantified their response. And what we found was that birds responded uh, or they recognize their own subspecies song and they responded less to songs of different subspecies. And so the takeaway is really that song is an important signal in diverging these subspecies and that actually individual birds can recognize those song differences. The three non-endangered subspecies, 
they all had similar songs. We couldn't really tell them apart statistically. Okay. And that's, and that's how the birds responded in the field. All three of those subspecies uh, recognized um, each other's songs. But in those three non-endangered subspecies, if we played them the Southwestern subspecies song, they didn't recognize that song and, and they didn't really respond to it. And they didn't respond to it at least 95% of the time. Okay, cool. Conversely, if we, in, in the Southwestern birds, they only responded 95% of the time to the Southwestern Willow Flycatcher song. And then they didn't recognize the other three subspecies songs. The question I would have is those three non-endangered subspecies that have very similar song. Yeah. There's something else about them that is differentiating them. On a genomics level, when you look at the whole genome, there is differentiation between those as well. I think what's going on with them is that these populations are all geographically distinct. And if you look at a map of the subspecies, they're all kind of bound by geographic features like mountain ranges or the Colorado Plateau. It's kind of separating them. And I think that that is causing, that's causing, you know, subspecies to breed uh, with individuals that are bound by those geographic barriers. And that's causing populations to diverge on a genomic level. As to why the song is similar among those three non-endangered subspecies, it could have something to do with the habitat that they live in, in those, those three northern subspecies. The habitats that they occur in are, are generally pretty similar. Song is affected by things like temperature and vegetation. And so if those subspecies are in areas that are, have similar habitat types, it could cause the songs to be similar. And the Southwestern willow flycatcher, they occur in this really unique habitat where they're in these little narrow strips of riparian vegetation surrounded by this really hot and dry upland areas. And that could also shape the song um, and cause it to diverge away from the other three subspecies. Okay, so habitat has something to do with their... Yeah, potentially. Species, yeah, mm -hmm. difference in species as well as possibly their song. Yeah. Interesting. I had to get really into the nitty gritty of these, of these songs. And so we looked at, yeah, 41 um, characteristics of the songs to really get a good picture of what's going on. And so we looked at things like frequency of each of the notes the high and low frequency of the notes, the length of the notes. And then another important aspect of the song is, is at the end, if the song notes go up and down. And if I play this song again, you can kind of hear that. It kind of buzzes at the end. And those are called frequency modulations. And that's just where the frequency goes up and down really quickly. And what I did was I just counted the number of those frequency modulations. And, and that ended up being another aspect uh, that was important in differentiating the songs where the northern non-endangered subspecies had more of those frequency modulations. And so they were more buzzy at the end of the song. And the southwestern willow flycatcher had fewer of those 
frequency modulations. And so the song is less buzzy. So it comes back to what you said about frequency. It was probably one of the more key aspects that distinguish the songs. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. Cool. Are you or are, are you in the process of sharing this information with, I'm not even sure what the organization would be, but whatever it is that, you know, is determining whether a species is endangered or not? So I, I talked about that um, earlier. I talked about that study from 2015 that sort of challenged the subspecific status and the protection of the Southwestern populations. And in response to that, my advisor during my PhD and myself and, and two other co-authors, we wrote a, a response article um, that was published. And that paper, we're proud to say, was included by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service in deciding that the southwestern little flycatcher would remain on the endangered species list. So we were very, very proud of that, of that work. But when we finished that project, we said these sorts of attacks on endangered species, not only in birds, but throughout the United States are going to continue. And we really wanted to kind of get ahead and strengthen as best we could the argument for protection of Southwestern little flycatchers. And that's what these two studies serve to do. Although we, in this work, we focused on Southwestern little flycatchers, what I'm interested in from a conservation perspective is conserving riparian habitats in the Southwest. That's because riparian habitats support disproportionately more birds, plants, mammals, reptiles, invertebrates than the surrounding upland areas. And although it's the, the southwestern willow flycatcher that is endangered, really what the concern is that these habitats are endangered. And I think it's important when we talk about conservation to remove ourselves from thinking on a single species level and think more broadly at the habitat level. Because although we focus efforts on the willow flycatcher in, in the Southwest and riparian areas, that protection extends beyond the willow flycatcher to other animals in these areas. Those sorts of efforts are really what's, what's conserving these important habitats in the Southwest. Well, Sean, thank you so much for talking again to Science Moab and uh, especially talking to us about the willow flycatcher. Thanks again for having me. Looking forward to the next one. To learn more or listen to other Science Moab episodes, visit sciencemoab.org or anywhere you get your podcasts. Science Moab Media is by Sophia Fisher, newsletter by Rhonda Cook, our theme music is by Jeremy Spaulding, and the show is produced by Peggy Hodgkins, Christina Young, and KZMU. If you love Science Moab, let us know. Leave a rating on Spotify or a review on iTunes. And consider supporting Science Moab by donating to the podcast at sciencemoab.org. This programming is unique to Moab, Utah, and your support makes it possible.